Hello, and welcome to Surviving HG, the Truth About Plant Medicine podcast. I'm your Canadian host, Tori Moline, and I can't wait to share with you all the brave, untold stories of women who faced hyperemesis gravidarum and courageously chose to use plant medicine. These stories carry with them raw experiences, brave vulnerability, and ultimately the intuitive powers HG moms have deep within inside of us. This podcast marries two untalked about subjects, HG and the generation of women who were silenced, and the natural yet stigmatized powers of the cannabis plant. HG is the picture-perfect illness candidate for cannabis, but because it involves pregnancy and growing a baby, doctors in the medical world are reluctant to try it and to recommend it. Decades worth of propaganda still contributes to many people, including these doctors, outlook on plant medicine. In some places like the UK or Texas, for example, HG moms who choose to use cannabis out of survival to save them and their baby are persecuted. In other places, HG moms are given a hard time by social workers, family members, partners, hospital staff, and their OB and midwife. HG moms deserve justice after centuries of suffering. HG moms deserve to know about plant medicine as an option during HG pregnancies. HG moms deserve to know there are other women fighting just like them and making the brave decision to go against the social norms and choose plant medicine. HG moms need education, resources, and community after centuries of being deprived from it. These stories you are about to hear are from moms who bravely shared them in hopes of helping create change for future HG generations. These stories deserve to be heard. These stories deserve to be protected. And these stories deserve to be shared and listened to. These are the untold stories of HG plant medicine moms. Hyperemesis gravidarum was recognized several centuries ago, actually, but the first research appears around the 18th century. Then, HG was thought to be related to abnormalities, toxins, ulcerations, or infections in a related organ. Early in the 20th century, a psychological cause was adopted for HG based on psychoanalytical theories despite the lack of evidence and biased studies. This belief has been passed from generation to generation, despite evidence disproving it. The Her Foundation genetics research proves that HG has a biological cause. Health professionals, researchers, and medical texts still suggest HG is a psychosomatic disorder. Consequently, women suffer from inadequate treatment and uncaring health professionals lacking compassion. Those quotations from the Her Foundation website demonstrate exactly why a lot of our care providers do not know about hyperemesis gravidarum. This overarching umbrella of history where it was blamed on mom's mind, blamed on mom's body, blamed on mom's circumstance, when in reality, she was thrown into this nonstop vomiting, nonstop nausea while growing a baby. And then her doctors were not willing to help her. So many moms over the century have been neglected and they have not been given the care that they deserve as malnourished human beings. Um, but, but with the Her Foundation's findings, we know that this is not in a mom's head. We know that moms are not making up hyperemesis gravidarum. Nobody wants to vomit upwards of 20 times a day while pregnant. Nobody wants that. So now in 2023 is a time to relook at this pregnancy or this maternal health crisis. We need to take a we need to take a long hard look at this and decide what we are going to do to change the future so that our future generations don't have to go through this and suffer quite as much as we did. And that's why these moms on my podcast are sharing their stories. They want to change the future of HG care. This next episode comes from Nevada, and it's from the stories from Faith, a HG mom who chose to use cannabis when she real she realized that that is what was going to work for her mind, body, and soul. She endured hyperemesis gravidarum, and she shares her brave story about 
those challenges during pregnancy and postpartum. Here's Faith's story. So let's, yeah, let's dive in here. What year did you have your first baby? Take me back to that time. Uh, well, obviously it's a crazy time because it was 2020. I found out I was pregnant March of 2020 when, you know, the world was falling apart. <laughs> um, yeah, which was, was crazy wild. Um, at the time I had gone on a vacation out of the country 10 weeks pregnant, and then everything was kind of going crazy. So I was battling this sickness while also, you know, trying to travel and then also the COVID scenarios that were happening. And so I don't think I paid enough attention in the very beginning. I just chalked it up as this is morning sickness. This is normal. It was my first pregnancy. I had no clue what was normal and what's not. Mm -hmm. um, fast forward to, oh gosh, about week 14. Um, and we were living in a studio apartment at the time, which was nice because the bathroom was very close to the bed, <laughs> but, um, I, I, definitely, yeah, I definitely, um, it was about 14 weeks into that pregnancy that I started um, having severe, you know, vomiting and, you know, conditions that I considered that were not normal. <laughs> right. Yeah. 14 and, weeks um, is where it gets so that, was, yeah, that was probably about June of 2020. Yeah. Yeah. So. Um, so you started to notice that your nausea, vomiting was picking up. Um, were you vomiting more than just yes. this morning, or were you, or, or was it just morning? It was. It was all day. So what had happened was it was in the, in the morning from week seven to fourteen, and then at fourteen it picked up to like an all day thing, and it was to the point where that was where I was not eating, I was not drinking um, water. I'm gonna shut my window for the sake of this. All good. <laughs> there we go. Um. um yeah. So I was not eating, was not drinking. I remember specific times where I was like, just trying to think of anything that sounded good. Um, I was sitting there just like, what, what is it that I could possibly want to put in my body and ordering tacos, taking a bite and instantly just coming back up and then sitting there for about five minutes, you know, um, just vomiting into the trash can and then crying because I'm so hungry and vomiting at the same time. And that was when it clicked for me, like this, this isn't, this isn't normal. And I don't think pregnant women experience this, or at least, you know, not to this extent and kind of thinking that I was the only one at that time, you know, because I had no clue about HG. Absolutely. So, what did your doctor say at this time? Um, in, in where you live. So you live in Nevada, right? Yes. Um, Okay, let's start that again. Okay, because I can edit this. Okay, so you yeah. live in Nevada, right? Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, yep. So now in Nevada, do you start off with a general practitioner and then do you go to an OB or how does that work there? And what was your experience? Um, a lot of times insurance always likes you to have a general primary practitioner, but a lot of insurances here allow you to use your OB as a general practitioner if you're a woman. Okay. So, um, I was already, um, kind of under the guise of OB, you know, um, help. Um, I did not, um, call them until gosh, I think it was like week eight. Um, I called the OB and they set up the appointment and I was at week 10 when I was seen by them. So I went in straight away and got seen. Um, so it was at, um, I don't think again, I ever really mentioned anything to him because I knew things weren't normal, but I, I didn't know that it was something to bring up with the doctor. You know what I'm saying? It was one of those things where I was still, I didn't want to seem crazy. I didn't want to seem like I was complaining. I'm, I'm a very self-aware, self-kind-of-managing person, and I do have a lot of mistrust in Western medicine and doctors and things of that nature. So there was a lot of this toughening it up and, you know, I'm fine. I can handle this kind of thing. Um, so I don't think I mentioned it him until closer to like 20 weeks was mm -hmm. when I think I had mentioned it to my doctor. Um, I never received any kind of um, medication from him um, only because I was strictly no medication at that point. I didn't want any pills. Um, mm -hmm. But at, at this time, I also was not using cannabis with my first pregnancy. Wow. So crazy enough, my story is I didn't use cannabis with my first pregnancy at all. 
period. Oddly enough, um, I was smoking prior to getting pregnant. Um, I am a concentrate user. So I use dabs, um, more higher concentrates than people. And that's actually how I started out. I did not start using flour. I started with concentration. So I already had that high tolerance. Flour isn't really a big kicker for me. And plus, I just like the, the, the feeling of concentrate versus flour. So I was using concentrate up until getting pregnant. In about week seven of my pregnancy, I got this really weird, strong aversion to it. It was the smell for me. It wasn't so much like it, but the smell really threw me off. And my partner, who was also a cannabis user, would have to actually use it outside the room or away from me because the smell would you know, instigate a gag reflex and make me want to vomit. So that was my experience with my first pregnancy. Um, I don't... Um, consider that pregnancy to, like I say, be as extreme as my second. Mm-hmm. But about week 28 of that pregnancy, it was one of those things where it's like it kind of like revved up, like the, the, the you know, it got worse and worse and worse and worse. Ah. And so I think that's why in the beginning it wasn't so like, you know, maybe I should say something. Maybe it just kind of like got worse and worse and worse. But about week 28 to 30, it kind of did this dive and I got okay. There was this period where it was like this relief and it was only lasted for about four weeks. And then I started getting this really weird sickness that it wasn't so much the nausea and the vomiting, even though I still had that at times, it was more or less, I just felt like I had the flu, body aches, pains, headaches, just, and not wanting to eat food again, food aversions. I did have food aversions, Mm -hmm. um, you know, just very weird, weird symptoms. Mm -hmm. Well, come to find out it was preeclampsia. I got preeclampsia about week 34 and they suspect I had it for about two, two and a half weeks before I ended up, um, again, self-advocating. I was the one who was like, something's not right. Something, you know, I had told the doctor at this point, you know, things were weird. And he just chalked it up to, oh, you're in your fourth trimester. You know, you're just tired. Mamas are tired, you know, and checked my blood pressure and sure enough, really high and had my baby at 36 weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how much you've done in the research of things, but I do think preeclampsia and HG have a very, very close connection to each other. I do. Um, in some of the herb, yeah, yeah, yeah I do believe foundation, looking at some of their stuff, yeah. And I've recently looked into it, and I've seen how close they are connected. And I think that's what happened as I switched from an overall like classic HG pregnancy into having these preeclampsia issues. And it was more about my blood pressure that was causing, you know, sickness. Um, and so that was how that pregnancy went. But in terms of my second, it was a full blown classic HG vomiting from like beginning to end type of deal. So, um, my first was, like I said, it was that kind of like that tiptoe into it. It gave me like a taste of it, Mm -hmm. but, um, it was my second that really gave me an understanding of this and like, whoa, like, this, this is, this, this is very, very serious and, you know, way and, and way more knowledge I need to learn about this, you know? And, um, so that's kind of how I found you and how I started getting on this journey in the summer of last year. So I got pregnant of, um, the beginning of 2022. Okay. And, um, yeah. And so fast forward two years and I was pregnant with my second first was, a, was a girl. Second was a boy. We don't know if there's any correlation there. Mm-hmm. I know um, genetically with my mom and her pregnancies, I was easier. I was a girl. My okay. two brothers were very difficult pregnancies. Right. So, you know, there's something there that I wonder, you know, if, yes, if that could I'm, be. I'm but, so um, curious. It's very interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess before we dive into your second, uh, like, HG pregnancy, one of the biggest mm-hmm. questions I always have for moms is, does this run in your family? And so if it does, would you mind explaining how it does? I I firmly believe it does. Um, my mom does now that she has seen me go through my pregnancies. Ah. And oddly enough, she also had a preeclampsia pregnancy um, on her first, um, se- uh, her first son um, oh. ended up in a preeclampsia as well. And she had sickness on that pregnancy. Um, so with mine, she said that she, she feels like hers was not as bad with me, but she does recall having more nausea and vomiting than probably was normal. But so it was, there's 11 year gap between, um, me and my brothers. So she couldn't really fully recall everything to her pregnancy. 
Okay. But um, obviously with my brothers, I was old enough to even see my for myself. And I remember um, with my brother, Sam, she lived in a chair her whole entire pregnancy, like in a, in a lazy boy. They specifically oh, wow. went to a store and bought my mom a lazy boy chair so she could basically live in it for nine months because she was so sick. Um, and then my aunt, the only other person in my family who has had children besides my mom, um, was my aunt. And she recalls having a very difficult pregnancy too. But again, that was 40 years ago. So, um, she remembers only being able to eat like chocolate popsicles and like chocolate cereal. And those were like the only things she could keep down. Isn't it Um, interesting how it's hard for them to remember almost? I think there is a lot of either it's blocking it out from the trauma and, or there really is just an acceptance of it, of that's how it is. And so it's normal, whatever, you know? Yes. I think it's um, Yeah. And yeah. and what was kind of crazy is the whole preeclampsia scenario with my mom. She did not realize that was what she went through until I went through it. Wow. It was, it was me going through it and she goes, that's what I had. That was my problem. That's what it was. Cause to this day, the doctors never told her what had happened. She didn't know what had happened. She just chalked it up to this random anomaly of this crazy ending to this pregnancy that had happened. And, um, and so that's where, like I said, I, I really do feel preeclampsia could have some correlation with HG in terms of um, the, the hormones in the body and how it processes them. And so, um, you know, it's just interesting to see, though, how every pregnancy does really can be different. You know what I mean? I really don't think that it is necessarily going to be every pregnancy you're going to have the same extreme. It could be on a spectrum. I think yeah. it's a spectrum is what I, I think it, you know. True. I have heard it's common for that second HG pregnancy to typically be more aggressive, unfortunately. I have heard that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm hearing, and even other mothers who I've been in contact with and I'm talking with that are on their second pregnancy and they're like, holy cow, like, why is it 10 times harder? And I was like, I don't know, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know if it is a buildup of, of the hormones, if it is just because you're postpartum from a previous pregnancy, if it's previous trauma from that pregnancy, but it definitely kicked in. And my goodness, by week seven, I was full blown back into like vomiting again. And this pregnancy, luckily I had no aversion to cannabis. Right. Um, and I had seen that it was helping. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, I'm just not going to stop. I'm just going to keep going. And um, it continued to help, but in a weird way. So for me, I had a hard time actually vomiting. So I would have very, very extreme nausea, but I could not release. So I would be stuck in this in this state of like, not being able to eat, not being able to drink, nothing. You know what I mean? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So I would smoke and it would let me purge or release. And I would instantly feel better. And then I could consume a meal. I could drink something. I could eat something. That is um, so that was oddly how cannabis worked for me. And I know that seems weird that I was like making myself throw up, but no, it would make sense. me better because once I would throw up, then I could eat and then I could take a meal or I could go drink something. So um, it was using it to kind of, make myself vomit. And I, I know that seems strange. I think that's but, interesting yeah. because um your your problem was that you couldn't puke, right? So cannabis came in and helped like, as a little tool. And because yeah, we yes. have to puke in order to get past it so that we can uh replenish yeah. our bodies in the best way possible kind of thing. There and was so- no way I tried so many ways to get that nausea to go away with like the ginger and the sodas and even eating the little bits every 20 minutes and, and, you know, cause they said it was stomach acid. And I mean, I literally tried everything in the book yeah. and nothing worked until I would actually throw up and get it out of me. And then I would get this like relief and granted it would come back, you know, four or five hours later, I would start to get that nausea that would come back again. And then I'd have to kind of go through the whole process. But if I didn't have that cannabis tool, like you said, I would have just been sitting there in misery and then not being able to consume anything, mm-hmm. you know, and I did eventually mention it. I did mention it to her in tears and I was met with like, Oh, it's just more sickness. Oh, you wow. know, um, 
I, I don't think it was that probably end of the trimester that I think I got any consideration for any, which was just was the help of the OB. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So um, your second pregnancy, your OB, how did he, he or she handle that, uh, that you so were starting to get sick? Yeah. So she um, honestly was very not helpful. Oh, no. <laughs> um, so when I mentioned it in the first place, it was chalked up to it's just morning sickness, you know, um, try to take more fluids, you know, the typical list of the ginger, the sodas, the things of that nature. I um, I instantly felt there was just this kind of like you're complaining and um, m- mentally noted that in the back, you know, of my head. And, and second time I mentioned it, I do recall being in tears. I can't recall the exact like weeks and times of, of mentioning these things to her, but I do remember the second time being in the office, um, just crying, just bawling my eyes out. And I had my mask pulled down again because they still had mask restrictions um, for COVID because of the tears. And she was more concerned that I had COVID and to have my mask pulled up so that she doesn't get sick than worrying about what was going on. I mean, literally, it was this whole conversation about, I mean, I couldn't breathe because I was literally in tears, water's coming down my face. And I'm like trying and I go, will it be okay if I just hold something up in front of me, you know, and it was this whole 10 minute conversation about I can't be in the room with you unless you have a mask on to talk. And by that time, it was just like, I didn't, I didn't want to have this conversation about, you know, my things and issues and problems. And that was when she did give me the prescription for the Zofran was on that appointment. And was that her Um, first, that was her first medication recommendation? Yes. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. And so I had already had issues with that from not pregnancies, but in the past, and I knew I didn't like it. It gives me headaches and it just makes me feel very groggy. And so, um, and, and the nausea never got reduced to where I thought was fully effective for the side effects that I was receiving. It would only, you know, go down 25, 30% and it would only last you know, an hour or two, and then I'm back to where I was again. Mm -hmm. So I just knew that like, this was not the route that I wanted to go and just instantly kind of put a rejection up to it and just continued on using my cannabis. And I did not tell her, she did not know I was using cannabis for it. Um, just because I didn't know how that would land. Um, of Nevada, what are the cannabis laws? So it's legal here. Um, and, um, for recreational and medical. Um, but as far as during pregnancy use, it is still considered, um, unsafe, harmful for the baby. And they could, if they wanted to, you know, question, remove that sort of thing. Um, but from all the research I did, because knowing that I was, um, cannabis using probably through the end of the pregnancy, I started doing avid research on, other people's experiences, going through Reddit forums, Reddit pages, Quora, you know, all of those things. And um, for what I heard from a lot of people, and mainly from Vegas, because it's a higher population, was that um, people in Vegas were not having any questioning. They were in and out of the hospitals with cannabis use. So I was like, you know what? I was like, and and because it got so, it, it literally, I was so sick at some points that it didn't matter to me. I was almost worth risking having to deal with the CPS just to survive the pregnancy. I mean, I had those conversations with my partner, like if we have to get questioned, if we have to, like, that's what it's going to be because I can't do this any other way. What else are you expecting of me? So we were fully acknowledging the fact that we were kind of putting that out there and you know that if that happens it happens and um trusting the universe that you know it would take care of us and you know which it did um luckily we had um no questioning um but i did tell one er doctor at one point that i was using so fast track now we were at the point of my pregnancies where i was visiting the er we were past the help of the ob because she was really no longer helping Um, I did end up on a prescription, but it was from the ER doctor, not from my OB. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it was on the third visit that I was talking to my OB that I was really explaining, like, I'm not eating, I'm losing weight. 
Um, because yeah, that's a whole nother part of my story. I had continually lost weight. I had never gained at any point in my pregnancy. Right. And evidence is in the scale. Exactly. And so for me, it was one of those things where I was like, I had every case here of something's not right. And she just was not helping me. And I told her at this appointment, because I had, I had not eaten in like almost 36 hours. Um, I was able to keep some minimal liquids down to where I feel I wasn't dehydrated. But of course, she did get concerned and says, you know, we'll go ahead and send you over. So she sent me over to the hospital. And that was where I met this ER OB. So they had an OBGYN that works in the um, ER area. Um, They ended up taking me up into like, in our hospital, it's like the pre to the labor and delivery. So mm-hmm. it's um it's in between the ER but before labor and delivery delivery. So I'm sitting in there and she comes in and she's asking me a series of questions and one of them was do you use cannabis because she was concerned about CHS. Mm-hmm. And um which I basically told her that yes I use cannabis but I told her that I didn't think I used it to the extent that it would cause CHS which Obviously, me using concentrates at the time, it could be a case, you know, to, to use against CHS. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, if someone's uneducated, right. they would see that as a red flag almost. Right, exactly. And and I, I know if she saw how I, I consumed cannabis, she would be like, oh, it's CHS. This is your problem. And that's how she would chalk it up. So I had to, you know, be like, yeah, I've used it, but only because there's been times where I've really needed to. And she's like, well, as long as you don't think it's causing CHS. And I was like, no, I don't think so. And then she offered the Zofran and I told her, no, I'm not into Zofran. That's not working. Do you have anything else? And she goes, oh yeah. She goes, we have other things. And I was like, okay, well, what are these? You know, because like I said, the cannabis was working. It was helping me purge, but mm-hmm. I was still getting the nausea. It, it oh, was yeah, still sick. <laughs> the cannabis would reduce the nausea, but again, it, nothing, nothing, even cannabis would reduce my nausea to zero ever. And so, you know, I was like, maybe I can combo this cannabis and prescription. So she offered me Reglan, I think is what it's called. Um, And it's similar to the Zofran. It's got this, it's a serotonin, um, you know, it works in your stomach. It's for cancer patients, chemotherapy, that whole nine yards. Um, The crazy thing about that, that medication for me, what, what I took it and within 15 minutes, I was able to consume my first full meal the entire pregnancy. Oh, wow. So I, I mean, it was the weirdest thing. Like I ordered this sub sandwich and normally I would only eat like maybe a quarter of it, ate the whole thing. Wow. So that medicine allowed me to consume larger quantities of food. Okay. Um, and then also kind of get a little bit of my appetite back. But mm-hmm. again, I still had nausea. Nothing ever took my nausea away. So these tools would give me like little, you know, things to help and manage, but I was still always throwing up. Yeah. How much much weight did you lose um, in your second pregnancy? 35 pounds. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I started about 216 and I was like 180 something when um, I gave birth. That's Um, gone. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and there, there was one, the, the point in time when I got sent to the ER, it was a two week period um, from, and I had lost 14 pounds. So that's seven pounds in one week, you yeah. know, per week. And so it's a pound a day. And so she, that's when she was like, you know, we need to get you in and, and get you checked out. And like I said, the, the doctor at the ER was what way more considerate, way more asked, way more questions than my OB ever did. Um, and so a lot of times I would just go straight back there. I kind of stopped getting help from my OB and started really relying on my hospital more because they were more, um, concerned and listened and, you know, would check on the baby and things like that. Um, so, um, it it was kind of sad that my OB was the way she was Yeah. (laughs) In, in the United States. Um, would you have been paying like more money to go to the ER? Uh, how does that work? I'm not quite sure on private insurance because I never did the ER issue on private insurance. Second pregnancy, I was on Medicaid. So everything is completely covered. So I didn't have to worry much about costs of anything in that nature. Um, first pregnancy, I was on private insurance. So there was the back of the head where it was like, 
you know, I'm not so sure I should run to urgent care. You know, I'm not so sure I should run to the doctor, but with second pregnancy, I'm glad that I had that because it gave me the freedom to be able to just go whenever I needed to go and true. see whoever I needed to see. Very um, true. Yeah. Did your OB, um, in, so that EROB that you appreciated more, um, were they familiar with HG? Did they ever educate you about hyperemesis gravidarum or even mention it? I never heard HG out of any medical professional mouth until after my children were born, actually after until Zenden was born. It was after he was out of me in the cot next to my bed when one of not a doctor, but a nurse said this patient has history of suffering severe hyperemesis gravidarum. And I was like, what? <laughs> and I was like, so that is that in my chart somewhere? So I don't know. I, I, I do want to go back and dig and maybe get some of my records and see if any one of the doctors has that listed or when that got listed. And I, I do maybe think that came from the ER doctor is what I'm assuming. Um, but I also know too, that um, some nurses, cause I was talking to a nurse friend, she said that nurses do tend to have more knowledge about these things because they are in more close relation to the patient. They hear stories, they're hearing what the patient is saying, and and um, honestly are kind of more better equipped to care for people sometimes than doctors are. So, but that was the first time I'd heard a medical professional mention that. Was it from a nurse? That blows my mind, but it also happened to me too. But the fact that it happened to another person blows right. my mind. Yeah. Cause with my first pregnancy, I I'd seen a tad bit of it online and kind of was like, hmm, maybe, maybe, but I never felt that I was at that extreme, which I know now that HG, it doesn't have to be extreme for it to be HG. Again, it's that spectrum. But um, obviously, like I said, when that second one hit, I was like that, it kind of made me think of those times when on my first pregnancy where I was like, Remember I was, and that's when I started looking it up and how I found you. It was completely all me, like wow. researching and looking into it. Wow. Yeah. That is. No incredible. one ever diagnosed. No one ever gave me any clues to anything. And it's so hard because the fact that they knew what was going on to you, but didn't even tell you what was happening in your own body. So once we have a name and an understanding of what's going on in our body, we're better able to deal with it and to to cope afterwards with it. But if we're not even given that information, that is so crucial to our, to our healing and to our future pregnancies too. Yes. Yeah. And that's where, like I said, I'm so grateful that I'm self-advocating and I do a lot of uh, self-awareness and I do research, but it can also, that can be very hard for mamas too, because they get online and they get on Google and there can be information out there that seems scary and that might not be factual, might not be, be true, but because we're so trying to grasp for that information because we're not getting it from the people that we trust. Mm -hmm. We're then turning to all of these other sources, like trying to find that knowledge. And, and I don't necessarily recommend that for every mama. I don't recommend every mom to get out there and get on Google and be sitting there researching because that can cause a lot of mental things as well, you know, and, you know, hearing other mom stories of being pregnant and sick for 40 weeks is not something you're going to want to hear. You know, but at the same time, I think for some women, it can be, like I said, very healing for me. It gave me that self-awareness to go, okay, this is what it is. This is how I can handle it. Um, this is the steps I need to take. I do need to make sure I'm hydrated. You know, all of these things that, that had I not sought those answers out, I would have been completely in the dark because I had no help from my doctors. I would have sat there and suffered for nine months and who knows what would have happened. Exactly. to me or my baby, you know, exactly. It's such a, it's such a, it's a maternal health crisis is what it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. And um, it's not, it's not the one that I thought I would be battling. Like, you know, I mean, I, I, there's so many, um, birth traumas out there and pregnancy traumas out there. And never did I think it was going to be vomiting for nine months. <laughs> you know? Exactly, exactly. Um, how did your family and like your partner handle your sickness? So my partner was amazing. I, to this day, can specifically remember the first time I threw up with my first pregnancy and like him helping me. And like, I knew I was like, okay, we're good. And um, yeah, know that. Yeah, he's incredible, like supportive. Um, I could not ask for a better partner in that terms. Um, 
But as far as my family, I think they, they all knew I was very sick, but I don't think they really knew what to do or how to help. And all of them were very hands-off, especially in the second pregnancy, which was worse, was even more uh, distance and more hands-off. And I think it was, she's done it before, you know, she's been pregnant before. And so it's not that big of a deal. And that was my, I think that was one of my biggest things was because I kept trying to tell everyone like, yes, I've been pregnant before, but that pregnancy was almost a piece of cake. Funny enough, after that first one, I questioned having kids again, because that pregnancy alone was rough enough for me to question having kids again. Absolutely. And then I decided, you know, I do, I want to go through with it. And then I got pregnant again, and it was even 10 times worse. But because everyone had that mindset of she was pregnant before, there was even less help and less support when I actually needed it more because it was worse this time around. And you had another child at home and another child. Like I said, then I had the toddler on top of it. And my, my poor girl, I mean, we've watched enough Mickey Mouse and Bluey to, to save, to save, you know, Mickey Mouse himself, because that's what we use to survive. You know, mom's on the couch and baby's watching TV. Of course. So um, I did not receive a lot of support from outside family, moms, any of that, especially in the second uh, second pregnancy. It was very much me and my partner hunkered down for nine months in our little apartment, literally surviving and eating fast food. And here's a bowl of cereal and, you know, instant mac and cheese cups and juice boxes because, and my daughter's poor appetite got very picky because she started to be fond of the foods that were easy. You that know? makes and sense. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And mom's not eating them. I'm not eating vegetables. I'm not eating fruit because that's not going down this body in an HD pregnancy. Yeah, that's that's very untalked about, I think. I haven't heard many stories about that. The fact that, yeah, our eating behaviors during that time would affect our toddlers. Yeah. Daughter. It's greatly impacted her. And I, and I don't know how much it's going to impact her in the future. We're in a reversal mode at the moment, but... <laughs> It's now having to do all those tricks of like hiding the veggies and doing this. And that's still very hard. That girl can spot a vegetable a mile away. She loves her fruit. Thank goodness. But, you know, it's like I I sit here and I do see like you you say HG just doesn't affect it, it trickles down into these areas that you see later on. And you're like, wow, if I'd only had a normal pregnancy. If mm-hmm. I'd only had a normal pregnancy. And I hear myself saying that so many times, if I'd only had a normal pregnancy, you know, if I, if she'd be potty trained by now, she'd, you know, all these different things, if I only had a normal pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And um, so it does, it affects a lot of things. It mm-hmm. really does. The aftermath is huge. And we're, mm-hmm. we have to cope with it all by ourselves besides this, the community we've found in the past year kind of thing. And right. it's so hard. Along with doing it in COVID when everybody is very distant and is and gosh, you're sick. I don't want to be near you, you know. <laughs> so true. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was a time to be alive, that's for sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> and these little babies wanting to come into it. <laughs> yes. Um, I wanted to ask you a little bit about your postpartum time. Um, how was that for you? If you want to talk about your first or your second or both? Um, first postpartum was um pretty decent. Um, with that one, some of the key factors, I did do placenta encapsulation on my first one, which was really cool experience. Um, I do believe they helped, but I'm not, I'm not fully sure. And I'll get to the story later on my, my postpartum for the second pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Um, for, like, so I said, the first one went smoothly. Um, I did get a little bit of, um, depression, you know, the moody blues, But about month six, I started experiencing very, very weird um, hormonal symptoms um, postpartum, like almost getting that rage and that anxiety and things kind of kicking in. And that's when I ended up stopping breastfeeding and and those kind of things. And um, come to find out, I had actually um, become pregnant. And so it was a combination of pregnancy hormones. I had miscarried that pregnancy. Um, so I, I have been pregnant three times. So first mm-hmm. miscarried a third one. And then this is my now second child. So I should say third pregnancy, but second um, full full pregnancy. Yeah. Um, 
And so with that postpartum, so with Zenden, my second one, it was a doozy. Mm -hmm. So had the baby first four days, I thought, you know, this is going to go just like my first. That's how everything felt. Came home, had a great first night. We're so now, yeah, we're on the fourth night. And then I had this episode where I started having heart palpitations, extreme, just anxiety ridden heart palpitations. And then it made me kind of feel lightheaded and dizzy. And I just like couldn't calm down. And then I started to feel nauseous. And so this is my first night home from the hospital. So I'm like, okay, we're going to go back to the hospital because then my mind is thinking it could be postpartum preeclampsia, you know, all of these variables that I've heard about, know about. So we rush back to the hospital, get checked out, get lab work done, get everything done. I'm good. I'm checked out on every level. They don't know why that happened, why it's happening, but you're good mom. They sent me back home. We get back home and that night I could not sleep. The severe, severe insomnia, just anxiety. And then it just kind of picked up from there. I pretty much was just in a stuck in a panic attack is the best way I could think of just cortisol, adrenaline, panic, fear, every ounce of fight or flight that someone could possibly imagine was in my body. And I was not sleeping, could hardly eat. I was eating just to produce milk and like try to live and realized very quickly that I needed help mm-hmm. and instantly started getting myself postpartum care in terms of like therapy, psychiatry, um, anything I could get my hands on. Um, at that point I did stop cannabis use because in the back of my mind, I just wanted to make sure that was not something that was triggering anything. Yeah, for sure. Um, I didn't, I just didn't know. And my mind said to stop and I trust my body's instincts when it tells me to do things. And so I quit cannabis for about 30 days, um, came off of it, detoxed and, um, really the detox was not that bad. It, It really wasn't, it didn't feel like it added on to any of my um, other issues that were going on at the time and just focused on my mental health. Um, I ended up having to stop breastfeeding at three weeks because um, I had not gained any weight yet only because I was, the anxiety was causing me not to eat and the insomnia. So basically any nutrients again, that I was bringing in was going out in breast milk. And I knew really quickly that I needed the nutrients more, you know, not more than him, but yes, more than him. And so there was that alternative of, okay, we can choose formula. So we um, switched to formula. I got myself on some psychiatric medication because I knew I needed, I needed like that instant, like kind of come in and just stop everything in its tracks Mm -hmm. um, because it was so intense and so powerful. This, this adrenaline that was just rushing through my body. And I really do think that it was from birth trauma. Um, there was some things that happened during the birth process that I think triggered um, past medical history that I have pre-pregnancies. I have what's called basal vagus syncope. So my vagus nerve is like very sensitive. And any type of trauma to that, it can become inflamed. And when my vagus nerves inflamed, I have those episodes that I was starting to experience. And what had happened was I basically got into this episode and never came down. I was basically stuck in this fight or flight. It literally was my body on full cortisol, full adrenaline, like day and night, not giving me any rest. And so I had to do a lot of like kind of really heavy, you know, getting myself, you know, back into check. And then about, um, like I said, a month after that, everything kind of felt kind of good. And I felt confident to go back into cannabis. And once I started cannabis again, like literally everything kind of smoothed back out again. And I've been right back to where I have been able to manage therapy very well. Um, Mm -hmm. I am still on the medication, but I've dropped down. So now I'm just on the very lowest dose and um, doing the combination again of cannabis and medication. So this postpartum journey was very, very hard. But I do think I I can chalk that up to the birth and probably also the pregnancy. I mean, my body went through so much during that pregnancy. I mean, I know I pushed it to the absolute 
tipping point mm-hmm. that when everything was done and I think I was, cause I was at home and I think that's what my body was just like, finally, you know, and it just that release. And then it kicked into this like inflamed, like, I think it was that healing, you know, where it gets worse before it gets better kind of thing. True. true. And, um, yeah, it, it was about three months, three months of kind of really pulling myself out of a very dark hole, dark gray, physically, mm-hmm. mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And I was like, yeah, we're never doing that again. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. That's yeah. very common after such, after such trauma that your body, mind and spirit went through. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a, uh, what a story. I have had like goosebumps this entire time as I talked to you, <laughs> like put the sweater back on. Um, yeah. I, I can't believe just the, uh, I guess I can't believe the uneducatedness that you, of the doctor that you had and the care that you received. That makes me so upset, but not surprised because as we know, this is happening across the world. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just wanted to say that your strength just, it just amazes me. And I'm so, I'm so honored to be able to hear your story, Faith. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And if there's anything like listening to this, I would just, when it comes to that strength, like, and I've said it several times as being Mm self-advocating it, that's really, really a big key factor is to always self-advocate. Even when it comes to cannabis, anything you choose, if you know that's what's best for you and your baby or you, your baby and your family, like do it. Yeah, and trust trust your gut, trust your instinct, and know the universe has your back. And you know the right choice does work out in the long run. And um, you know, and to not have fear about any of the choices that you have to make to survive something like this. And I do say survive with a lot of. That's exactly what it is. It's survival. Mm -hmm. And you know, when I have seen now that there are women who are passing from this and babies that are passing from this, you know, we're at this, we're at that hinge point now where, you know, um, we can't be afraid and we need to just start self-advocating and, um, and holding holding doctors accountable. That's you right. know, I, I really feel like I should have held my doctor more accountable for, for her actions and things like that. So, you know, if there's one thing I could go back and do different, it would be holding her accountable and for her actions and her choices as well. So. Yeah, that's very interesting. Very good piece of advice (laughs) to anybody else. Because we're paying them. You have to, you have to realize they're working for us. You know, we're we're putting a paycheck in their pocket. And so at the end of the day, you know, you should be getting the care you deserve and the care you need. (laughs) That's right. And especially with something so serious, such as vomiting, because vomiting is like the biggest impact on our, our bodies and our minds, because I don't think there's anything worse than vomiting. Um, I don't think there is. (laughs) I don't think there is either. And it's funny, like, I just got goosebumps thinking that because, and I know we've talked about spiritual things in terms of HG, but prior to even pregnancies, I've had issues with throwing up. That was that whole thing of using the cannabis to throw up. I have my entire life since a baby always fought it. I have always never, ever, ever, ever liked throwing up. Mm-hmm. And I've always tried to hold it in, always tried to keep it in, battled it, battled it. And at one point in my teenage years, I would, I would vomit and it would make me pass out. And it was that base of Vega thing. That's how we discovered it. Vomiting would trigger me to pass out. And I finally got that all under control and everything was good there. And then I got pregnant and started having all these HG symptoms. And funny thing is now, now I can throw up and I'm okay. That now that I've so done an HG now I can throw up and now I don't have, I don't pass out. No, I don't like it. Trust me. It's still mm-hmm. not my favorite thing. It still triggers me. It still has PTSD connotations to it, mm-hmm. but I I've had, I have thrown up since having Zenden and I have not had the same reactions to it that I've had any time in my past life. Right. And so it's, it's, it's very interesting how sometimes that journey that'll take you through, it might be hard, but like, Hey, that is <laughs> we handle throwing up now. <laughs> That is so interesting, especially because yeah. yeah, I had that prior connection to kind of throwing yeah. up, which is yeah. so, so interesting. It is in my really own in my own family. I have a cousin with emetophobia and I'm just she hasn't had any kids yet. And I'm like, oh, no, right. what's going to happen? Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, I always think that sometimes fears are a little bit where you need to uh, almost shine light. 
you know, cause, cause I think that's where darkness is and that when you shine light there, you know, and, and sometimes we're forced into that lightness and we're after forced, we're forced out of that darkness. And mm-hmm. I don't know if HG is a journey spiritually or if it sometimes, even if it is just a physical thing that's happening, I think it can be used as a tool for a spiritual journey if you allow it to be. I think you know so. what I'm saying? If, yeah. And I think with other people telling their stories of their spiritual journey with HG, I think that's mm-hmm. some, like clicking moments for some women where it's like, oh, wow, maybe there was an opportunity for me to work on this or mm-hmm. do this or whatever. Um, yes. you're, you're so right. You're so right. <laughs> it, it's made me 10 times stronger in every aspect. So, I mean, I, I can't sit here and, and say that it hasn't done me any good. It, it definitely has. I have, mm-hmm. I, you know, but, um, at the same time, I wouldn't sit here and want to do it again. <laughs> right. Absolutely. I agree. <laughs> well, thank you so much again, Faith, for sharing your story and mm-hmm. for sharing your story with everyone listening. Cause I know that those listening, it's just going to be a little bit of extra comfort that isn't even available in the world right now for moms to listen in on this podcast and hear stories about HG. So I'm just so excited to share this with everyone and for you to share your story worldwide. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I I'm excited to, to, um, to share my story and, and just, because it helped me. I know for me, it was the Reddit pages and the core pages and, and Google that was getting me through it. So I'm so glad that now we have, you know, pages like yours and podcasts and YouTubes that are going to be coming out now. So it's going to be, it'll be a little community for women to dive into while they're sitting at home, you know, being pregnant. So HG moms are some of the bravest women I know. We were built from darkness and had to rise above. We were given little help, resources, or community by those in charge of our care, but we created it ourselves once we could unite through the internet and tell our stories, where we could tell the truth about plant medicine and surviving HG.